Luke 12, 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Uh, but he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, so much for this time. We thank you for the privilege of coming into your house and coming with our church family to worship you together, uh, to fellowship with each other, uh, and to hear your word. And we just give this time to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this place so that we may know you better, we may understand more of who you are, and we may hear your voice. God, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what you're saying to us today. And I just want to uh, humble myself and uh, give myself to you. I pray that you would use me to speak your word to your church today. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Today we're continuing on with the Lent series that... So many churches uh, around Hong Kong is going through, and we are continuing on the series on the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, and the parable that we're looking at today is commonly known as the parable of the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool. So as we have read today, Jesus is giving this parable in response to a request. Jesus gives this parable in response to a request from someone in the crowd. So we need to first look at that story. What is the request? Verse 13. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Isn't that so relatable? That's a common conflict we see even in today's age. Right? People... We, we, I'm, I'm sure you, you know people in your families, in your relatives, your aunties, uncles that have conflict with each other because they want to make sure they get a larger inheritance from their parents, right? It's, a, it's not just an Asian thing, right? I think it happens all over the world, and it's such a common struggle, and I think it's so interesting that 2,000 years ago when Jesus is ministering, the same conflict is happening with this family, right? His father has passed away, and his main focus is, I want to make sure I get a larger share of the inheritance. I want to give a little context into when this story, uh, the, 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 the setting into this story. Uh, go to verse 1. If you have your Bible with you, you could go to verse 1. Actually, we have it on the screen. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So you can see that in the first part, there was a crowd of many thousands. So thousands of people have gathered so much so that people are trampling on each other. So you can imagine, if you look at, look at I think it's Luke chapter 5, there's a story of uh, the four friends lowering his, their friends, uh, the right, ripping off the, the rooftop so that they can lower their friends because of the crowd. They can't 
get to Jesus. So imagine there's crowds of people and people are scrambling. Why else would they be trampling on each other? Because they all want to get to Jesus. They all want to get a word from Jesus. They want to you know, ask him for healing. They want to ask him for, you know, the meaning of life or whatever their request is. And for this man, just imagine this man is trampling on other people and scrambling his way to the front. And the thing that is most burning in his heart is, I want to make sure I'm wealthier. I want to make sure that I get the most from my father's passing. Jesus, this is the burning request of my heart. Can you make sure you tell my brother to divide his inheritance? It's not fair. I want more of my share. Uh, I just think it's funny. It's, I, mean, it's, I mean, can you imagine he's breaking through the crowd and he finally gets to Jesus. And the thing that is on his heart is, I want a bigger share of the inheritance that's supposed to come to me. Um, <clears throat> just a side note, you know, I think we, all of us, we, for sure, we can go to Jesus with every request, but be prepared that Jesus may not share the same urgency that you feel towards your request, right? Some of your requests, Jesus might say, why is that so important to you, right? You go to Jesus, God, I want a promotion, I want my child to go to this school or whatever. And Jesus may not say, for sure, my child, let me grant you your request. He might say, why? What, why is that so important to you? What's the big deal? Let's deal with what is going on in your heart. And I think that's what's happening here. In verse 14, Jesus says, what, what are you doing? That's not why I'm here. Right? Why, why do you think I'm going to do this for you? And then in verse 15, it seems to me, let's go to verse 15. He says, then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. It seems to me Jesus perceives what is in his heart. Right? He hears the request and he perceives that the thing that is in his heart is covetousness, is greed. It's this desire to be rich. And he also perceives, I think, he perceives it in the crowd. Because then it says in verse 15, he said to them. He says to the man, hey, who, 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 don't come to me. Like, that's not what I'm about. But then he tells the crowd, beware of greed. So I think he perceives that greed is not just in this person. It's, he can see it in the hearts of the crowd. And so he tells the crowd, watch out. Beware of every kind of greed. Be on your guard against every kind of greed. Uh, so what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about that money. We're going to talk about greed. We're going to talk about what our view of money should be. Uh, Jesus says, in the NIV translation, Jesus says, watch out. That's, the, that's how they translated what Jesus says. Watch out. When do we typically use that expression? Watch out. Danger. When there is danger and the person in danger doesn't perceive it. Right? It's usually when somebody's walking, they're on their phone, car is coming right and they're about to cross the road and we say, watch out. Or someone's playing sports and there's a ball coming their way and they're doing something else they can't see. Watch out. We say watch out when, they, when there is danger, but they don't perceive the danger. And Tim Keller is the one that pointed this out from a sermon that I heard many years ago. He says greed is one of those things that most of us don't recognize. You know, most of us feel like, oh, I'm, you know, so-and-so is greedy. I mean, he's a lot of money. Like, you know how much money that guy? That's greedy. But me, come on, I'm, that's not me. I don't have greed. I mean, look, look, look at my house, whatever, right? Often we don't feel like we have greed uh, and we don't recognize it. Uh, that, but, but it could be something that is totally about to, you know, strike us down and get us on the wrong path misalign us from what God wants from us. So, so let's take 30 seconds, right? Let's reflect. 
I want you to reflect. There's a, can you put that on the screen? Is there greed in your heart? Take a moment to reflect. <laughs> you don't have to answer out loud. Um, is there greed? Is there greed in your heart? It's a reflection question. Ask the Holy Spirit. You know, I was going to say, your first response probably is, no, no, of course not. I'm not a greedy person. But let's really allow the Holy Spirit to speak, speak to us. Is there a desire in your heart to hoard, right? To hold on to what you have as yours. It's mine. It's mine. Is there a love of money in your heart? Is there a desire to get rich? Okay. So I have three, I, I divide it up into three points like I, 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 I like to do. And uh, the first point is the incredible, do we have that? Yeah, the incredible allure of money. I just should share with you my own discovery of my own greed. Okay. So, you know, Growing up, I, I'm a missionary kid. My parents are missionaries. Uh, we've never had that much money. We've never had a lot of money, and, uh, but we've never been like, poor either. Thank, thank God. Like, we've, God has always provided for our every need. And so I just grew up uh, not with a real like, stronghold uh, over money in my heart. Right? I, I never thought... That I struggled with greed. If I had asked that reflection question a few years ago, I would have said, I don't think so. Like, I'm trying to be humble. I'm trying to be honest. I don't think greed is something that I struggle with. Uh, And then in 2021, along with many other people around the world, apparently, I later found out, in 2021, I started investing. Right? Everyone, tells, everyone tells everybody, you should invest. You should invest. You should save up. You should you know, start something so that when you're older, you're prepared and you retire. And I thought, that's a good idea. I mean, I've never, I don't know anything about investing, so I'm just going to do it. And uh, I don't want to share too much. It's a little embarrassing, but I will share this. The first investment I made was in crypto. So you can, you can tell, like, the level of my investment intelligence is not very high. But when I started early in 2021, started with some crypto, and then I got, a, you know, like a brokerage account, and I started investing into stocks and whatnot. And, you know... 2021 was actually a pretty, at least in the beginning of 2021, I'm sure many of you know, I mean, most, of, most of you know, it was a good year. There was a lot of returns. Crypto had this crazy, like, whatever, uh, parabolic, you know, increase. And, and uh, um, so my early investments started doing well, and I started getting returns. And... You know, something happened in my heart. I felt a rush in my heart that I had never felt before. The excitement of getting money and increasing my wealth, it was unlike any other excitement that I had experienced before. And it consumed me. It was like, oh, I can make money. Look, I can do this and... and, Clueless, okay? So, clue, I mean, I started in 2021 and things were like, what, you know, going up. And so, uh, just, I got wrapped up in it. And uh, I've spoken to a few people about investing when I started. And if you've spoken with me, I've always tried to keep it very cool in, in, in my conversations. Because... I, I didn't want people to think, why is this pastor so excited about <laughs> investing and getting rich? And so I try to keep it very cool. But I can tell you, in my heart, it was like, it, I, I had never felt my heart beat like that with the excitement of, 
I can put money in this thing and it's going to, I mean, especially with crypto and things that were happening, you could double, it could triple, it could, all these things could happen. And my mind started just, I just, it was, it was, it was fully, I think, and I think it was just given over to greed. And I was spending so much time thinking about it, reading about it, watching so many YouTube videos and listening to podcasts, talking to different people and just consumed with uh, thoughts of investing and wishing, fantasizing like, oh, maybe one day I'll have this much money and I'm going to be able to retire, whatever, like just spending time on it. And, you know, as I recognized this, I kept trying to, I, I, I recognized it and I kept trying to let it go and spend less time and set certain guidelines. I'm not spending too much time thinking about it, but I, am I embarrassed? I don't know. It's sad, sad. I'm, it, I'm sad to say that it was only when everything went down in 2022 <laughs> I mean, brutal reality for this novice investor. Like, oh, things don't always go up, right? Things are not always going to be green. And uh, everything went down. And uh, I went through, you know, moments of like, not panic, not depression, but just like brutal reality, uh, reality check. I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. And, And I've made lots of poor decisions, you know. And so uh, once that happened, thankfully, I was able to come out of it. I was, it it kind of woke me up, and I was like, what am I doing? I'm spending so much time thinking about this and giving my heart over. And, and I can recognize um, God, there was so much greed in my heart, and I had given my heart to it. And you know that verse where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I never felt that verse to be more true, ever. And I just recognized, wow, my heart was completely given over to this because that's where I had put my treasure. The thing that I was treasuring the most at the time was money, riches, returns, whatever. Um, So disclaimer, I have nothing, if you're investing and increasing your wealth, I, I, I genuinely, I think it's great. I think wealth is good and money, having a lot of money, I think it's, it's, it's a gift. It's a wonderful thing. I totally agree with Pastor Benjamin who was here two weeks ago. And he said uh, it's unhealthy and maybe a religious spirit that says something like, Oh, I don't want to be rich. I just want to have, have enough for my, myself and my family. And it sounds so holy and so righteous. But really, that is, it, that is a self-centered approach. Like you're really only caring about yourself. And I think it makes sense that we should have a lot so that we can provide and we can share and, and with those in need and we can give and be generous. Kerry Newhoff is a, a church leader, a thought leader that I follow and, and I read his blog. And he says something like this. He says, I am way more generous. I'm way more gracious when I have margin in my life, right? Whether it's time emotional energy, mental energy, or finances. When I have margin in my life, I can give and I can be generous. When I don't, it's very difficult. And I, I think totally makes sense. So I'm not saying just a blanket statement like, oh, none of us should invest. You know, it's greed, if automatic. But, but, but there is something about money, whether you have it or you're chasing after it, that can so easily lead us astray. So uh, that's my second point. Um, why is, is money so powerful? And why, it can, why does money uh, so easily lead us astray? So number two, number two is the in, imperfect promises of money. The imperfect promises of money. Why is money so powerful and can lead us astray so easily? Because... At first glance, money seems to be the answer to these three deep cravings and longings of our hearts. Money seems to be the answer. Money seems to be the promise to answering these three deep cravings and longings we have in our hearts. These three things are significance, 
security, and satisfaction. Significance, security, satisfaction. I think by nature, we all long for significance. We all long for security and satisfaction. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's natural. We created that way. And as Christians sitting here, I know, we all know in our heads, God is the real answer. God is the true answer. But so often, it feels like the answer is found in something else. It might not be money. Maybe some of you, maybe money is not your thing, but there's other things that you give your heart to because you think that's going to give you security, significance, and satisfaction. Today, we're talking about money, so we're going to focus on that. So we see this in today's text. If you look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15b, the second part of 15, Jesus says, For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possession. Not even when one has an abundance of things does your life consist of your possessions. Jesus is saying your life is not about possessions, but so often we can fall into that thinking, especially if we start to gain stuff. We think life is all about possessions. And we place so much significance on, uh, on wealth and possessions and, and money. And, uh, and part of the reason is because we often find our own significance and value in what we have. Or how much we have. How big our house is. How nice our clothes are. And even more sadly... Sometimes we find our value and significance in how much more we have than somebody else, right? How much bigger is my house than so-and-so? How much nicer are my clothes than this other person? Do you feel this way? Do you ever feel that way? It's a genuine question because I don't really see it in my own heart. I can see how this could be true and I see it as true in many people, but I don't know if I actually feel that way. But what I recognized in myself was I do find that in general, I am quite impressed by people who have a lot of money. And I find myself like feeling a little intimidated and feeling a little bit like, whoa, this, whoa, this person. I had a, you know, when I was in high school, we had one girl who came from a wealthy family, I guess, I don't know, but she got $1,000 every week as allowance, and we would just follow her around. Right? <laughs> she would, would get a taxi, go to this fast food place for lunch, and we just thought she's the coolest because she has $1,000 every week. That's a lot of money for a high school kid, junior high, high school kid. And uh, so, so, which leads me to think that maybe subconsciously I do equate wealth with significance in some way, value, worth, wealth. I equate that with significance, value, and worth. Um, What's the truth about significance? First, the significance that is derived from money, I think we all know it, is not true significance. I'm sure you have seen people who are overtly materialistic, who overtly flaunt their wealth and the things that they have. And what do we instinctively know about them is, man, that's unattractive. And whatever significance they find in that, we, we, we know that that's the most shallow form of significance. So that's the first truth. The significance that is derived from money is not true or ultimate significance. And the second truth about significance is in Jesus, we already have ultimate significance. Right? In Jesus, we already, we're already significant. We're already told by the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, he says to you and me, Matthew 3.17, this is my son, this is my daughter whom I love. I am well pleased with him. I'm well pleased with her. We already have the greatest significance we could imagine. And Jesus saw so much value, significance, and worth in us that he was willing to give his life for us. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 says, We weren't bought, we weren't redeemed with 
perishable things like gold and diamonds and treasure, we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? By his life. He was willing to pay for us with his very life. So in Jesus, we already have ultimate significance. So that's the second truth, truth about significance. Security. Let's look, uh, look at Luke chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. <clears throat> he has this great harvest, and his mind immediately turns to, what's the best way to store my surplus grain? Make sure I don't lose anything. Make sure it doesn't go anywhere. What's the best way to secure my grain so that it doesn't go anywhere, I don't lose it? Uh, Why? Because he believes that his future is secured with the amount of grain, the surplus grain that he has, right? Right? Who knows what kind of harvest he's going to have in the future? Right? What if there's a drought? What if there's a flood? What if something happens and this happens and you have no grain the following year, the following two years? I better store my grain to make sure I have enough. I will always have enough for myself and my family. And as long as I build a bigger barn to store all of this, I'm going to be okay. <clears throat> Don't we feel the same? This one I definitely relate to. Don't we feel the same about money when we have surplus money? I mean, we have a savings account. We try to make sure we have our emergency fund, uh, right, for the rainy day. Um, I think that's actually very wise and it's very good. And I think with security in many ways... It's true. Money does provide a certain level of security, a certain kind of security. But moving on, what's the truth about security in the Word of God? First, there are, yes, money does provide a certain level of security, but there are definitely some things, many things in life that money cannot save us from. Right? That's the main point of the parable. Right? This guy stores up all this grain. He's like, I'm, gonna, I'm good for years to come. And God says, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. Right? There are many things from which, even though we have a lot of money and we feel like yeah, it does offer security of one kind, there are many things in life that will come at us that actually money can't provide that security. Money can't save us from those things. So in that sense, money is not true security or ultimate security. And the second truth, in Jesus, we already have ultimate security. Right? We already have ultimate security. In the very next passage in Luke 12 is the, the famous passage. We often look at it from Matthew 6. But it's the one where Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Look at the ravens. Look at the grass of the field. Just as they don't work, they don't worry, they don't do anything, and God provides for them, how much more will your heavenly Father provide for you? And God offers a security that is beyond money. What I'm saying is, in Jesus, we don't need money. Yes, money does provide security, but we don't need money for security. I can firsthand testify. My parents never had money. My dad never taught me any, never taught us anything about investing. And when I told him that I'm doing this, he's like, you know, he would be the first to say, "Oh, that's is that is that godly? You like, is that a good thing to do? You know?" And uh, we didn't have anything, but we've always been provided for. We never lacked anything and they're retired and they're doing okay yeah i mean it's it's amazing and in a in 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 a in a a very real sense in jesus we have the kind of security that money provides we have that 
but we also have more. We have security over things that money can never save us from, right? And uh, we have security not just from things, the storms of this life. We also have eternal security. We have eternal security from death. We, uh, even if life ends and, and we were to f- die tonight, in Jesus, we have eternal security. So, so the second truth about security is we, have, we already have ultimate security in Jesus. Number three, satisfaction. Satisfaction. Luke 12, 19, he says, I will say to my soul. So he said, I'm going to store all, I'm going to build this bigger barn. I'm going to store all these things. I'm going to be secure. And then, finally, I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Right? Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Just enjoy life. Just enjoy life. With his future secure, the desire of his heart is, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to retire early. I'm just going to vacation different places. You know, I'm going to watch TV as much as I want to. I'm going to take up a hobby. Or I'm going to do this or that. I'm going to enjoy life. And uh, you know what is super, what was super scary for me as I was preparing for this sermon and I was reading through this text? That exact, almost the exact fantasy in this man is the fantasy that I had when I was wrapped up in investing and greed and, and retiring. The almost exactly the same. My dream was, oh, if I could do this and if crypto blows up and it's going to be like this and I'm going to have billions of dollars. No, but, you know, like, well, I'm going to have so much money and I'm going to be secure and I'm going to retire early and I'm going to take it easy. I don't have to work. I don't have to do anything. This, that's, that was the desire of my heart. And this is what I wrote in, in my notes. I said, quite troubling because this is basically my dream. In my unguarded moments, when I think about retirement, investments, and FIRE movement, I want to tell you about FIRE movement. FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And that's actually a thing. People, young people are saving up all their money and investing and doing all these things because they want to have financial independence, not have to work for anyone, and retire early. And in my unguarded moments, this is my fantasy. I just want an easy life. I, just, I want comfort. I want to be satisfied with all the things that money can buy for me. And I want to have an easy life. And in my, if I'm not careful, I can very easily think money is going to bring the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate comfort, the ultimate joy. And so what is the truth about satisfaction? Number one, first, right? Money offers some form of satisfaction, but it's not ultimate satisfaction. It's not ultimate joy. It's not ultimate comfort, right? You're going to enjoy something new for a while, and very soon it's, you're going to get bored of it, and you're going to need something else. You're going to need something else. You're going to retire at age 40. What are you, you going to do? You're going to enjoy life for a few years, and then you're going to get bored, and, and you, there's a longing. There's a deep longing for something more meaningful and, 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 and more fulfilling. Uh, Second truth about satisfaction. Can you guess? <laughs> in Jesus, we already have access to. We don't always access it, but we already have access to ultimate satisfaction, ultimate joy, ultimate comfort. Psalm 1611 says, oh, I should have put it up. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Can money provide a certain kind of satisfaction? Yes. But I don't need money. Right? The kind of satisfaction that I have in God goes beyond things that money can buy. Not only will God provide the things that I do enjoy, but the satisfaction that I get from God is beyond what money can give me. I have ultimate satisfaction. Why am I talking about this? Because these are very simple things, right? As I was preparing, I knew. I knew that most of you already know. We already know in our heads 
Yeah, God is the one that provides ultimate security, ultimate uh, significance, ultimate satisfaction. Uh, so why am I talking about it? Because I believe, I, 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 yeah, I believe we know it here, but we don't actually know it here. Right? The youth group kids know it because I said that all the time in youth group. We don't know it here. We know it here, but we don't really know it. We don't really live like we know that God is the real answer for these things. So I, I, uh, when I was going through this, my period of greed, um, I was talking with Matt a lot, and uh, um, we had a weekly call, and, uh, and he led me to a sermon series by this pastor in the U.S., and something that I heard from one of his sermons, I was, thought was so profound, so I want to share with you. So let's look at the screen. This is Psalm 23. And how it's so fitting because that was the last song we sang. PCM talked about it today. Psalm 23, normal version, okay? This is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this pastor um, was, uh, I don't remember the full context, but he was talking about our worship of money and how sometimes we give our hearts over to money. And he said a good litmus test for that is you take that psalm and you place Lord with money. So let's read that modified version. Money is my shepherd. I shall not want. Money makes me lie down in green pastures. Money leads me beside quiet waters. Money restores my soul. Money guides me in the paths I should take. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for I have enough money. My bank account and my investments, they comfort me. <laughs> it, it's funny but when I first heard it, I was deeply convicted. I thought, oh, my goodness. I think I relate to the altered version more. And that's more true in my heart than the Lord. Yes, of course, I know the Lord is with me. But in my day-to-day, just like my unguarded moments where I just make decisions and, and the things that I feel, the things that I think, you know, the, the, my, my, how my mind operates... It's the altered version. And I thought, oh, man, that's not good. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. So that's, that's why we're talking about it. So that's my last point. So, uh, so what are we to do? What is the solution? Right? What is the solution to come out of this place of greed and love of money and, how, you know, our trust in money? What do we do? Sh- should we give it all away? Should we sell our possessions and give to the poor? Or is it... Just 10% regularly, I should give my 10% every, every month to the Lord. Is it okay to invest and have a savings account and prepare for the rainy day? Or, or maybe if I increase my giving to 20%, 30%, is that the solution? And so this is my last point, number three. The insignificance of money. I'm calling it the insignificance of money because I, I believe what God is really after is not your money. He's after your hearts. Right? God is not after your money. He's not that. I don't think he is that concerned with each and every one of you. How much you give? Do you give 10%? Did you give 9.9%? Did you not count your taxes? You know, then you're not trusting me. I don't think God is doing that. There isn't a formula that fits everybody. Right? There isn't a formula that fits for everybody. Only, only you can answer Right? Only you can answer whether or not you should invest, whether or not you should do this or that, whether or not you should give, sell your possessions, give 50%. Only it's, that's between you and the Lord, and you have to go to God and check your own heart and reflect uh, on the specifics of what God uh, is calling you to do with the wealth that he has given you. Um. But, you know, I can tell you, uh, in 2021, I was giving faithfully. I was giving my 10% 
over my 10% faithfully. With the increase, I was making sure. I'm like, I don't want to get too over, caught up in this. I gave some, you know, what to me is a large sum to different ministries, different areas. And I thought, you know, by doing this, I'm going to control my greed. But I tell you, I, it was, I miserably failed in, in, uh, in my heart really being given over to the Lord. And uh, I just want to, yeah, I, you know, sometimes, sometimes, and I think this is true for many of us, sometimes giving becomes our justification for our pursuit of money. Sometimes our giving becomes our justification for pursuing money. I, you know, I know I'm spending a lot of time. I know I'm spending a lot of energy, a lot of focus, trying to make money, right? But I promise it's for a good cause, right? I'm going to give 10%. I'm going to give 20 I'm going to give 50%. I'm going to give it to the Lord, and I'm going to give to the church. And, and we think because I'm prepared to give, I can spend my life, I can spend my heart, I can spend all my energy pursuing money because we're going to give. And I, I want to tell you a testimony. I want to tell you a story. Maybe five minutes and then we'll finish. I want to tell you a story of this, this testimony I heard on YouTube just, again, many years ago, randomly. It's a, a professor named Paul Lim, Korean-American professor at Vanderbilt University, Christian professor. And uh, he, you know, grew up <clears throat> difficult young life. At nine years old, his father went to jail because he was involved in some political stuff. The government didn't like him. That's things that he was saying. So they threw him into jail in, unjustly. So three years in jail, he comes out. And uh, 12, he's 12 years old. But for the next three years, life is horrible in Korea because of all the, you know, the government doesn't like what he's saying. So at 15 years of age, they moved to the U.S. They moved to the U.S. and... He's not a Christian at the time when he's in Korea, but he did pray when his father was in jail, but nothing happened. So already a seed of bitterness toward God was growing in his heart. Goes to the U.S., and as many immigrant families do, he started going to church. The family started attending church. Mom became a real Christian. He's, he was in youth group, but unfortunately, he had a terrible youth group experience. Right? They, they did what is called triple B, Bible study, Burger King, and bowling, apparently. That's what they did every week. And he says, nobody ever talked to him, right? He, he wasn't, uh, he didn't speak English, right? He's brand new from Korea. He didn't fit in. He wasn't wearing the right clothes. He didn't have the right accent. And so nobody played with him. And often he was eating by himself and bowling by himself. He says, not even the youth pastor came to bowl with me. And, and I thought, oh, I mean, I was former youth pastor. I was like, oh, that's so terrible. And a good reminder for us youth workers, right? But... Um, <laughs> Uh, he had a terrible experience, and so he, he, but you know, a brilliant guy, so he ends up going to Yale University, and he's in Yale University, and he, he's like, finally, forget church, this youth group sucked, and I'm going to go to Yale, I'm going to study, I'm going to become brilliant, I'm going to make a lot of money, I'm going to make something for myself. Uh, but his mom, whom he loved, she's apparently very nice to him, you know, loved him, said to him, asked him to go to church, promised to go to church. Right? Because she had become a real Christian. And she would call weekly and she would ask him, did you go to church? And he says, he could have easily lied. He could have easily said, yeah, I went to church. But he just felt so bad because he loved his mom. So he made it to church every, every Sunday. He would be hungover like crazy, but he would go to church on Sunday. And uh, still enjoying life, drinking, um, just, just you know, making something of himself. Totally rejected God. But at some point, maybe third year in college, something horrible happened to him. His sister decided to marry a pastor. Right? And so he's like, what are you doing? What? You know, she was going to be a doctor and the husband-to-be, the, the husband he was going to be a doctor. They were both in medical school. There was going to be a doctor, but he felt called by God to give that up and become a pastor. And so he's like, what? This is so stupid. What are you doing? And, but his mom calls him. And, and says, over one summer, he says, hey, can you make sure you go to the church retreat where your future brother-in-law is going to be preaching? And uh, not for your faith, but because to save our face, right? Because, like, 
He's a pastor, but like no one else in our family is a believer. You should just go. You should just go and support him. And he's like, he loves his mom, so he goes. And he says at the retreat, he says, everything sucked. That was his, that's his words. He said he hated everything. Our retreat won't be like that, you know. So I promise, please come. But he said his retreat, everything was horrible. And he hated everything. Hated all the talks and all the songs. And the band wasn't very good. And it was just whatever and just bored and um and uh not into it at all but as it so often happens you know, the last night of the retreat uh the band is playing this song it's a keith green song I, I didn't know it but some of you probably know it it's called to obey is better than sacrifice and these are the words he says it's to obey is better than sacrifice i don't need your money i want your life to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. And he said, as they sang that line, it was as if God got a hold of his heart. And God was speaking to him and saying, I don't need your money. I want your life. And something just happened. And he broke down. And, and, and apparently a week before the retreat, he had said something to his sister-in-law. I mean, to his sister. He had said, hey, you're making a foolish decision, right? You were going to be a doctor, but now you're giving it all up and you're going to be in ministry and you're going to be poor the rest of your life. So what I'm going to do, I'm at Yale, I'm studying business, I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to give you money. I'm going to provide for you. And uh, a very insensitive kind of remark that he made to his sister and that uh, he was reminded of that. And on just the words, I don't need your money, I want your life. And God saying to him, I don't need your money. What I really want is your life and your heart. And uh, <clears throat> I just felt like as I was preparing for this, that that's what God is saying to some of, some of you today. I, I, yeah, just in my prayer time, I felt that some of you, your approach to God is like this guy. You don't really care about God. You don't really you know, this kind of, it's not that interesting and you're not giving him your life. But you say to God, or you, maybe you say to your friends, you say to your spouse, I, I'm going to give. Don't worry. I'm doing my part. You know, I'm, I'm going to give. It's, gonna be all, it's all good because I'm giving my 10% or my 20% and I'm providing for this ministry, that ministry. And you think that's enough. And I just felt that God is saying to you, that's not enough. I don't care about your money. But I want your heart. I want your life. Money is insignificant to God. But he wants us to give him our heart and our commitment and our love and our affections. In Luke 12 verse 19, it says, So is the man who stores up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. This is the, the contrast that Jesus is drawing between the rich man who was rich toward earthly things, material things, possessions. He had a lot of things. But, he's, but Jesus says, here's this rich man, but he's not rich toward God. What is most important is that you are rich toward God. And we can spend a long time really exploring what it means to be rich toward God. But I think... You know, it's, it's, it's related to pursuing God, right? Spending a lot of time with Him, meditating on His Word, that your wealth and abundance in things in relation to God is good, right? You're not spending all your time pursuing and running after the things of the world, just giving God some money and two hours on a Sunday. You're actually giving God your heart and you're pursuing and you're growing in your abundance and wealth Toward the Lord. Uh, and, and, and that, I think, is going to help us, help bring that truth in our minds as capital truth in our hearts, right? Uh, maybe, maybe all the things I talked about, security, significance, uh, satisfaction, and the truth about those things, we are like, I know that. I already know that. What, what's, uh, 
Maybe we're like that because we don't actually know the Lord, right? We don't know the heart of God. We don't know His goodness. We don't actually know the, the security we have in Him. Like we don't actually know the significance that is found in Jesus Christ. And we don't know the love that He has for us. And we don't know the satisfaction, the deep joy that we have in the Lord. And uh, I think until we get rich toward God, we're not going to know that. Right? So let's worship. We're going to sing a song. I've asked them to sing King, King of My Heart. Uh, yeah. I just, I like it. He's the king of our hearts, right? Our hearts. He's after our hearts, right? Who is the king of your heart, right? Let's, let's meditate on that. Who's the king of my heart? And um, our God, our king, if we really make him king, he's never going to let us down. We're going to have ultimate significance, ultimate security, ultimate joy and satisfaction in him. Okay, so let's sing this. And we also have communion today, so peace is going to come up for that.
Let's uh, prepare ourselves um, to partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner should be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him, in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, who does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number asleep. And so the Lord tells us to come to his table regularly, and to come to his table reverently. And if you, have, um, if you don't have the elements, just lift your hand and one of our ushers will make sure you get it. But we're going to just spend some time just examining ourselves as the scriptures tell us. You know, Pastor Nate gave us a, a great message today to examine ourselves in the area of wealth and greed and money. And that way we examine not just that aspect, but our whole life before the Lord. Let's go to him, worship team. You can lead us in a song. And then I'll come down and I'll, we'll pray together and then we'll take it together as a body. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the prize you Father, we come humbly, Lord, at the foot of the cross. But we recognize, Lord, that you, Lord God, are a generous God. Lord, you're not greedy. You gave us your very best, your son. Lord, you paid the price, God, that we couldn't pay. We deserve to pay. Lord Jesus, you took it upon yourself. And so we come humbly to say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your loss. Thank you for saving us, Lord. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We bless you, God. Let's take together. This is Christ's body broken for you. And this is the blood new covenant poured out for you. 
And if you're able, let's stand to our feet and let's sing together. Thank you for the Invite you. Can you just grab someone's hand next to you? And can we just spend a moment just to pray? Um, this over this weekend, uh, Pastor Ernie, who's our our pastor in our Filipino congregation, his wife Shimmy, uh, her mother, uh, went home with the Lord. Uh, they just they just missed it. They left uh, yesterday. It happened uh, earlier. And so, can you just just spend a moment? Can we just pray for Pastor Ernie? Uh, pray for Shimmy. Uh, pray for their family. Let's just ask God to comfort them. I know they were really heartbroken that they had missed. Uh, you know, they were told by their relatives to come home right away, and just you know, getting flights and you know, it's crazy. And so, can we just spend a moment? Let's just lift up their whole family. You know, lift up uh, uh, their kids as well. I know one of them had to stay uh, to uh, uh, help with a uh, um, spill today as well. And so, just let's just a congregation. Let's just uh, mourn with those that mourn. Uh, can we do that for a moment? Thank you, God, for uh, Shimmy's mother, Lord, that's now with you. Lord, that's why the cross is important, God. That's why your death and sacrifice and resurrection is important. Lord, because our resurrection is tied to your resurrection, God. Lord, uh, we are even more grateful, Lord, today as we remember, God, them. Lord, we are even more grateful for what you've done for us, Lord, because your death and resurrection, Lord, opened the door to our resurrection, God. All the loved ones that we've lost over the years, and as they have trusted you, God, we will see them again. And we thank you again, Lord. We love you, God. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Nate's message. God, thank you for his vulnerability and just the anointing on him. God, and we take to heart, Lord, that 
God, that you don't want our money, Lord. You want our lives. And so, Lord, we offer up to you our lives and our money. So we thank you, Lord. We love you, God. We bless you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to the Lord. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, from this day forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day. If you need any prayer, I invite you to come up to the front. Our well ministers would gladly pray for you guys. God bless you.